Section 3 of Orpheus and Mayfair and Other Stories and Sketches. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Charlotte. Orpheus and Mayfair and Other Stories and Sketches by Maurice Baring. The Shadow of a Midnight, a Ghost Story. It was nine o'clock in the evening. Sasha, the maid, had brought in the samovar and placed it at the head of the long table. Marie Nikolaevna, our hostess, poured out the tea. Her husband was playing vint with his daughter, the doctor, and his son-in-law in another corner of the room, and Jameson, who had just finished his Russian lesson, he was working for the civil service examination, was reading the last number of the Ruskaya Slova. Have you found anything interesting, Franz Franzovich? said Marie Nikolaevna to Jameson, as she handed him a glass of tea. Yes, I have, answered the Englishman, looking up. His eyes had a clear dreaminess about them, which generally belongs only to fanatics or visionaries and I had no reason to believe that Jameson, who seemed to be common-sense personified, was either one or the other. At least, he continued, it interests me, and it's odd, very odd. What is it? asked Marie Nikolaevna. Well, to tell you what it is would mean a long story which you wouldn't believe, said Jameson. Only... It's odd, very odd. Tell us the story, I said. As you won't believe a word of it, Jameson repeated, it's not much use my telling it. We insisted on hearing the story, so Jameson lit a cigarette and began. Two years ago, he said, I was at Heidelberg, at the university, and I made friends with a young fellow called Brown. His parents were German, but he had lived five or six years in America, and he was practically an American. I made his acquaintance by chance at a lecture when I first arrived, and he helped me in a number of ways. He was an energetic and kind-hearted fellow, and we became great friends. He was a student, but he did not belong to any corpse or burschenschaft. He was working hard then. Afterwards, he became an engineer. When the summer semester came to an end, we both stayed on at Heidelberg. One day, Brown suggested that we should go for a walking tour and explore the country. I was only too pleased, and we started. It was glorious weather, and we enjoyed ourselves hugely. On the third night after we had started, we arrived at a village called Salzheim. It was a picturesque little place, and there was a curious old church in it with some interesting tombs and relics of the Thirty Years' War. But the inn where we put up the night was even more picturesque than the church. It had been a convent for nuns, only the greater part of it had been burnt, and only a quaint gabled house and a kind of tower covered with ivy which I suppose had once been the Balfrey, remained. We had an excellent supper and went to bed early. 
we had been given two bedrooms, which were airy and clean, and altogether we were satisfied. My bedroom opened into Brown's, which was beyond it, and had no other door of its own. It was a hot night in July, and Brown asked me to leave the door open. I did. We opened both the windows. Brown went to bed and fell asleep almost directly, for very soon I heard his snores. I had imagined that I was longing for sleep, but no sooner had I got into bed than all my sleepiness left me. This was odd, because we had walked a good many miles, and it had been a blazing hot day, and up till then I had slept like a log the moment I got into bed. I lit a candle and began reading a small volume of Hine I carried with me. I heard the clock strike ten, and then eleven, and still I felt that sleep was out of the question. I said to myself, I will read till twelve and then I will stop. My watch was on a chair by my bedside, and when the clock struck eleven I noticed that it was five minutes slow and set it right. I could see the church tower from my window, and every time the clock struck, and it struck the quarters, the noise boomed through the rooms. When the clock struck a quarter to twelve I yawned for the first time, and I felt thankful that sleep seemed at last to be coming to me. I left off reading, and taking my watch in my hand I waited for midnight to strike. The quarter of an hour seemed an eternity. At last the hands of my watch showed that it was one minute to twelve. I put out my candle and began counting sixty, waiting for the clock to strike. I had counted a hundred and sixty, and still the clock had not struck. I counted up to four hundred. Then I thought I must have made a mistake. I lit my candle again and looked at my watch. It was two minutes past twelve, and still the clock had not struck. A curious, uncomfortable feeling came over me, and I sat up in bed with my watch in my hand and longed to call Brown, who was peacefully snoring, but I did not like to. I sat like this till a quarter past twelve, the clock struck the quarter as usual. I made up my mind that the clock must have struck twelve, and that I must have slept for a minute. At the same time I knew I had not slept, and I put out my candle. I must have fallen asleep almost directly. The next thing I remember was waking with a start. It seemed to me that someone had shut the door between my room and Brown's. I felt for the matches. The matchbox was empty. Up to that moment, I cannot tell why, something, an unaccountable dread, had prevented me looking at the door. I made an effort and looked. It was shut, and through the cracks and through the keyhole I saw the glimmer of a light. Brown had lit his candle. I called him, not very loudly. There was no answer. I called again more loudly. There was still no answer. Then I got out of bed and walked to the door. As I went, it was gently and slightly opened, just enough to show me a thin streak of light. At that moment I felt that someone was looking at me, 
then it was instantly shut once more as softly as it had been opened there was not a sound to be heard i walked on tiptoe towards the door but it seemed to me that i had taken a hundred years to cross the room and when at last i reached the door i felt i could not open it i was simply paralysed with fear and still i saw the glimmer through the keyhole and the cracks suddenly as i was standing transfixed with fright in front of the door i heard sounds coming from brown's room a shuffle of footsteps and voices talking low but distinctly in a language i could not understand it was not italian spanish nor french the voices grew all at once louder i heard the noise of a struggle and a cry which ended in a stifled groan very painful and horrible to hear then whether i regained my self-control or whether it was excess of fright which prompted me i don't know but i flew to the door and tried to open it someone or something was pressing with all its might against it then i screamed at the top of my voice and as i screamed i heard the cock crow the door gave and i almost fell into brown's room it was quite dark but brown was waked by my screams and quietly lit a match he asked me gently what on earth was the matter the room was empty and everything was in its place outside the first greyness of dawn was in the sky i said i had had a nightmare and asked him if he had not had one as well but brown said he had never slept better in his life the next day we went on with our walking tour and when we got back to heidelberg brown sailed for america i never saw him again although we corresponded frequently and only last week i had a letter from him dated nizhny novgorod saying he would be at moscow before the end of the month and now i suppose you are all wondering what this can have to do with anything that's in the newspaper well listen and he read out the following paragraph from the ruskaya slova samara two nine in the centre of the town in the hotel a band of armed swindlers attacked a german engineer named brown and demanded money on his refusal one of the robbers stabbed brown with a knife the robbers taking the money which was on him amounting to five hundred roubles got away brown called for assistance but died of his wounds in the night it appears that he had met the swindlers at a restaurant since i have been in russia jameson added i have often thought that i knew what language it was that was talked behind the door that night in the inn at salzheim but now i know it was russian end of section three